Hi there and welcome to our fourth free webinar of the 2019 Smart Building Series. And today we are talking about communities at the heart of smart buildings. And I'm really, really happy to um, introduce Vanessa from uh, District Technologies. Hi Vanessa, how are you doing? Hi James, very good. Thank you for having me. No, my pleasure. And um, you know, I saw you uh, talk a while back at, a, at an event um, in Amsterdam, and I thought it was super interesting, and then we had to get you on the webinar. So, um, yeah, really interesting to to hear what you're going to say today, and I'll let you in a minute just um, you know give give an introduction to what you guys are doing at District. Um, just before that, I want to um, uh, just a bit of housekeeping. First of all, I want to say thank you to our sponsor, um, Haystack Connect. So that is uh, going to be a conference organized by Project Haystack, um, and that's going to be held in uh, San Diego, California next month. That's May the 13th to the 15th. Uh, if you guys want some more information about that, then please go to haystackconnect.org. Um, we'll be interested to anybody who uh, wants to learn more about uh, meta-tagging of data uh, and the Haystack project. Uh, and other than that, today, um, very happy to make this an interactive session. So if you guys have some questions for Vanessa or for myself um, about her presentation or you know anything that, that's going on, then um, please let us know. Uh, if you type the questions in, I'll get them here and then we can cover that um, in the uh, sort of second half of, of, the, uh, of the webinar. Uh, and really beyond that, I just want to say um, this is being recorded, so I'll make sure it's available online. Um, that's also Vanessa's slides and uh, and and the the audio that will be up on SoundCloud. Um, you can also subscribe on iTunes and it'll also be on uh, on YouTube as well. And you know we'd very much uh, appreciate it if you guys want to leave us a review on iTunes. All of that stuff really helps. Uh, so yeah, over to over to Vanessa. Um, tell us maybe a little bit about yourself and District Technologies to kick off with. That'd be be really interesting to hear. Sure, thank you, James. I'm happy to do a quick introduction on my background, how I started the company, and then really quickly what we do, which will lead us into the discussion topic, which is more about, on a macro level, what is the value of smart buildings? And you know, we have a, we at District have a very strong opinion about it, and implementing technology, anyone should always think about the why. What's the value? What are we providing the users? You know, why are we providing this? What's the business value, and what's the user experience benefit? And you know, we would always argue, unless you're improving the day-to-day -day experience of people in buildings, why are you putting hardware in them? And there's there's really no need. So communities are really at the key of um, at the heart of smart buildings. And I will give you a really quick background on what I used to build. I used to build buildings. Um, this is my right out of uni. I studied engineering. I wrote my master's thesis on the DNA of entrepreneurial hubs. And I was lucky enough to take my theory into practice by launching Factory in Berlin. This is what it looked like before. This is when I joined um, the two founders. We acquired the asset. We then redeveloped it. And we then filled it with technology companies because we financed it ourselves. It was not possible to do the whole building as a co-working space. This was in 2011, so way before WeWork came to Europe and before co-working was well known, we, as the two founders, decided, well, they had invested a lot of um, money into startups and they were really looking for a building to put all of their companies into. And they found this building, it was a little bit too big for um, their startup, so they said, well, let's turn it into a technology campus. And they actually wanted to do the whole thing as flexible monthly leases, but because they had to finance it from the banks, especially back then in Germany, no bank would finance that. So they ended up having to take in long-term tenants, which were companies, they got an anchor tenant. Well, when I joined, we got SoundCloud as an anchor tenant. Um, and then that really transformed um, the space. 
And we brought in companies like Google, Zendesk, Twitter, Mozilla, and we were only able to do one floor co-working and combined it with long-term tenants and turned it into this. So we did, you know, two new floors on the top. You can see the, the difference. Um, and this was our big opening event where we had Eric Schmidt, the executive chairman of Google, come in and do a keynote. It was sponsored by Google for Entrepreneurs and Lufthansa, who I brought in and, yeah, really transformed it into a very much community-led um, space with some of the best companies in Berlin. And it certainly became the place to be. We created a lot of events and a lot of services and a lot of community um, amenity space. And of course, we also had to build our own technology platform to connect those things. So the best buildings in the world nowadays are actually copying this, this concept. So you have long-term tenants that are willing to pay more per square foot because they can take less per square foot in terms of the basic unit economics behind shared space. As a tenant, you can take less um, square footage and therefore you know, have access to the boardroom or an event space or a shared meeting rooms or co-working as overflow. Um, but your HQ real estate cost goes down significantly, which behind salaries is, of course, the second largest um, corporate expense. And the biggest companies in the world are starting to implement this strategy as well, um, as are the biggest real estate owners in the world. And it's interesting for me because I sort of having done this building eight years ago, almost, yeah, eight, nine years ago, uh, I've come full circle to what we've built with district, which is the digital layer for physical spaces like this or others. So whether it's long-term tenants or, or co-working, um, and we see all the best buildings in the world and all the best um, owners and property managers getting into the space, you know, managing spaces more flexibly means focusing on user experience and then using smart building technologies to integrate this. So quickly, um, on my background, I, I then moved from Berlin to London, where I turned this building into this. It was three buildings actually at the time, 1,500 members, um, 30 million pound investment in Camden, part of a public company called Marketech. And I created, I was managing director of interchange and I set up the team, the operations, the space. And this time it was a pure co-working space. So all monthly, monthly leases, and again, driven by the community demand to have shared spaces, events, and services. So this is me at the opening. And then through my work there, I realized, you know, many more real estate owners are, are trying to do this. Um, I started consulting OVG. OVG built the world's smartest building in Amsterdam called The Edge, also about seven years ago. Um, they spent a, a lot of time and, and money with Deloitte to, you know, smart, smarten up everything in terms of tech in the building. Um, and then they, you know, spent a lot of time later focusing on the communities. So it might have been done better if they had looked at the community before they looked at the technology. And we spent a lot of time discussing that. But ultimately, the technology helps Deloitte and any of the other tenants to have a much better experience. It helps them save time and money. And it helps them get to, you know, what they're looking for in terms of desks and, and services. So you can read a lot about this building online. It's a lot of case studies. Um, and a lot of really interesting tips and tricks about what they've done that other people have implemented since. Um, I also started consulting the Crown Estate. We've recently launched one Hedden Street with them, which is a pure co-working building off Regent Street. And it just shows, I think it proves that the market is ready. Even the most traditional companies like the property, you know, property owners, um, that was traditionally the, the Queen's property in London are implementing um, more flexible space and technology. And if you think about co-working, you know, we believe every office is a co-working space. Co-working is nothing new. Co-working is the idea of collaborative working. And with the end goal of making your business and your employees more productive. So this is absolutely nothing new. You know, we would, I would argue um, the Institute of Directors is one of the first co-working spaces ever built in London. This was built in 1802. And it was a big um, space where all the directors of different companies could come together, work, have events, connect, and discuss certain business opportunities and ideas. And that's where the real business, you know, value still gets done between people offline. We have a lot of opportunities online. We have LinkedIn and we have different networks that we can find online, but we believe that, and it's still true, and I have this in my own business 
office every day, most work is still done offline. So therefore getting this bridge between the digital and physical spaces is key. And so this is what we built with district. District is two years old, two and a half years old. Um, it's already profitable. We're working with some of the best real estate owners and managers around the world, or also big companies like WPP. So we're doing uh, WPP's campuses in Amsterdam and Madrid, and then rolling out to 170,000 employees globally because they're managing their own office space. Um, we're also working with companies like Blackstone, who's our first client, or managers like Cushman and Wakefield. And we're live in the UK, in Canada, in the US, and across Europe with more than 300 million square feet. And so the product essentially enables this new way of looking at smart buildings from a community first perspective. And as I mentioned before, we really believe it's not really smart unless you affect the user experience. And um, do feel free to interrupt me with any questions if, if you have any, or we can take the questions at the end. I will um, certainly do that. Great, <laughs> thanks James. Um, so on the left, you can see a diagram of what was pioneered with the likes of Factory in Berlin and other real estate owners who have taken normal space, so normal office space, commercial office space, and added, you know, shared collaborative creative spaces in between um, this is also a trend that is happening in residential so not just commercial all the big prs or multifamily schemes that are turning into hospitality-led spaces rather than just apartments right you can have gyms um, lounges even cinema rooms and some of these new residential developments and they all benefit from automation and you know an improved experience through a digital platform and then the really interesting thing is you can add more and more smart building tech to create more data and more learnings for the managers or the owners of the building but i would always argue to look at these smart building integrations at on a um, basically opportunistic level and at a business value level. So why are we adding sensors? Are we using it to measure the occupancy of, of people in the space? Or are we trying to reduce the square footage footprint? We increase an employee um, per square foot density um, and so on. And therefore it adds real value to, to what we're doing. Um, but for example, integrating every single light bulb in, you know, on top of every single desk with the an app that allows you to click 10 times to find that light bulb to turn it on or off or click once on the wall where the light switch is or what's the least friction experience clicking the light switch so people aren't going to use the app unless it reduces friction in the day-to-day -day experience and not adding complexity um, so this is just a quick example of some of the functionality that district offers its clients we provide automation in terms of access control. You can, with one click, get in and out of the building, invite a visitor, book a meeting room. It get, they get sent a, an email that's personalized with a download link, a calendar attachment, et cetera. And all of these functionalities are to automate manual processes, either for the manager, so for the receptionist, having to all day, every day, be typing in the computer, just taking people's names, you know, this is a very manual process that is 100% automated through technology these days by pre-inviting guests, which would then allow the receptionist to become more of a community manager to look at the experience that people are having or to actually greet the people because they know who they are because it's just popped up the name of the person that has just swiped their card and the receptionist can become more focused on providing real value. How's your day been? You know, how's your event last week? how's your company doing and one of the biggest and best advantages that i think co-working spaces have shown us is that if um, communities are built where the business value is clear and opportunities are created real um, connections are made for example at factory we had many of our companies that started investing in each other or partnering or working together and that in comparison to other buildings I've been at, you know, throughout the city, specifically London or New York, where I've asked potential clients, you know, who else is in this building? Have you, do you know what other businesses are here? And a lot of them have absolutely no idea. And they could all become, you know, clients or partners of each other. It just 
create stickiness and retention. You would never want to leave a building as a tenant if you have partners and clients in your building. And if you can create retention and stickiness, you're saving a lot of value in terms of rent and a lot of value in terms of asset value. So at the next rent review, the tenants are most likely to be open to increasing um, the square foot price instead of leaving. They want to stay. It gives you the power of creating places people love. Um, and so bringing it back to smart building tech, of course, every building is different. And so platforms that focus on community do provide a lot more value if they have one or two integrations. So what we've built from day one is a mobile-first open API where our clients and partners can integrate with the core product, which is the, what's on the left. So the spaces, the meeting rooms, the events, the services, the community features is what we as a company started with and pioneered, I guess, what we're best at due to our backgrounds in co-working. Um, and because every building is different, we work in an open infrastructure way. One word that I particularly dislike in the smart building space is called is future proofing. I think a lot of um, people use the word in misleading ways. Um, I truly believe that there's no way of really future proofing a building except for opening it up. So all you can do is have open networks, open technology with APIs that allow you to integrate different hardware as the hardware becomes obsolete and to upgrade your software as new software releases are provided and working with software as a service companies that have the yearly maintenance fee, a yearly software as a service fee and not a one-off CapEx. And then, you know, you're never going to get upgrades. You have to keep paying them to get, get upgrades. So it's a difference in business model from how we used to buy tech to more of a subscription service um, in buildings. And, you know, we truly believe the biggest, um, BMS and, and biggest building technologies companies in the world like Siemens are being forced to slowly start opening up their, their systems as well. Retrofitting systems with closed um, products or closed hardware, closed software, it's almost impossible. So then it can become very, very costly. But the concept of future-proofing, the idea that you can create technology that is never gonna become obsolete is impossible. Technology is changing every single day. And every time you release a piece of software, it's almost immediately out of date. And therefore, it's a different mindset of looking at how we work with technology products and understanding how software is iterated um, so that being a client is also um, an easier relationship. So if you are a corporate and you work with a startup, you understand that they work in two weekly sprints and that you're going to get upgrades and that you know even companies like Google or Twitter or Facebook with tens and tens of thousands or more um, engineers and software engineers, even they have bugs sometimes and stuff isn't always 100% perfect all the time because software is changing. And so having, you know, becoming comfortable with a little bit of flexibility and a little bit of changes is, is also very key in terms of adopting smart building tech because it's always going to be outdated. So as long as you can just buy the next upgrade or get the upgrade automatically in the, in the ideal way with the software as a service provider, um, then you'll always be on top of the market and what's happening. And so becoming comfortable with you know, the concept future-proofing is not really possible. We need to always keep iterating and improving as we evolve. Um, is I think something that you know, we specifically are speaking to a lot of um, real estate property managers and owners and facility managers um, where maybe their clients or their managers have this expectation that it has to be perfect when we build the building and otherwise retrofitting is bad. Well, I would argue you can consistently retrofit as long as it's software and the hardware can be replaced as long as the software has an open API. So this is the, the future of um, sort of upgrading buildings as easy as it is to upgrade your iPhone, your iOS updates. You know, we don't even think twice about upgrading an app. It just almost updates automatically when we're sleeping and when we you know, put our iPhones or Android phones into, into the plugs and is connected to Wi-Fi, it'll just do it automatically. So we're very used to that. And I think one day there'll be a, a world where buildings will be able to upgrade like that as well. Um, yeah, we believe in terms of district, we have a one platform approach where the managers have a web login on the left and the clients and the users of the, of the client's buildings um, have a, a mobile or web uh, version of exactly the same content 
functionalities, which can be different on a building by building or portfolio level. So this is kind of everything we've been talking about in a, in a nutshell. I think you know, from our perspective and what we believe in is the future of asset and property management, uh, flexible space with services and amenities that allow companies to take less space but have access to them, powered by technology, but focused on a user experience level, on a human level. So focus on the user, not on the building. Yeah, Even though we used to think about buildings and assets as brick and mortar and leases, we now want to think of them as people and memberships. Um, so I wanted to speak a little bit, and I know we have about 10 minutes left, um, and then we'll, we'll launch the questions. I wanted to speak a little bit about a nice example of this concept for human-centered design, which is the idea of design versus desire paths, which is where basically design and user experience merge. So this is a nice like public realm example um, that I like. I took it from Tom Hume, one of the Google Venture Partners, TED Talk, and he illustrates how you know we can try and build stuff, whether it's a real life product or technology or software with certain assumptions, like this path, trying to slow down the bikes with these barriers, and then in real life, the human experience will still just find a way around what they're trying to do. So this is the point where user experience, what people actually want to do, um, changes from the, the principle of design. And here's a really nice example of a city that was built in the 50s with the idea, this was like Niemeyer era of architecture, where they really thought everyone was going to start flying um, and driving and no would walk anymore so even the whole city of Brasilia in Brazil looks like an airplane and here one of their main city centers city center areas has been built up with only roads so either side of this huge intersection is about you know an eight or ten lane road and people who live on this one side of the intersection and the other side in reality, need a way to cross because they're not driving, they're actually walking. And you can see that in order to cross one side of the city to the next, you need you have about, you know, maybe 20 or 30 lanes. And it's one of the most dangerous intersections in the world. Lots of people die trying to cross here because they didn't build a single bridge and they didn't think about the human experience that you may actually want to walk and not, not drive to get from one side of um, this intersection to the next. And so this is illustrated in the different paths that um, people have taken. And you, you could see it on the grass, right? The, the roads have been created in, in reality. Um, another example of the same concept is this uh, university in California. They created a park. They then let people walk from one building to the next. And then they paved over the desire path. So they didn't just make one pavement with the idea that, okay, people are gonna use that. Actually, people go through the grass. And so they first launched it, learned, and then iterated and paved across. So I thought that was a really nice example of a real life um, design or desired path. And Tom says, our job is to find desired paths and then pave over them. So this is really this concept of iterating and learning to high agile speed um, development. And so, Really, this comes down to designing products or services to real needs, real user problems at the lowest friction. So can I get in and out of this door with one click, not with 10? And it's all about human-centered um, user experiences. So we, we work a lot, a lot around this concept. Um, everything we build is around first understanding understanding the why, like I mentioned at the very beginning, the business value, defining the how, testing that, um, and then iterating. So very much focusing on the learned, build, and measure iteration cycle. And I would argue that you can look at any project, whether it's a software or building or you know a consulting project in the exact same way. And this is the most effective and fastest way of creating um, viable solutions that really solve problems. So for buildings, it's absolutely the same. Iterate, um, learn, build, and then measure. 
measures, so very much collecting the data of what's working, what's not working, iterating on top of that, you know, learning from mistakes and accepting failure as a part of the success cycle. Failure is good. The faster you fail, the faster you'll succeed. Um, and then building on top of that. And so what I'll just end with is, yes, we want to measure, iterate, learn, and build for real estate assets. But instead of trying to only think about the brick and mortar, um, like I said at the very beginning, it's it should and is um, very much about the people and the user experience and the human-centered design aspect of how we use our assets more flexibly and more um, conveniently for the people we work with and work for. And so with that, um, I'd like to thank you all for your time and realize that uh, I have even five minutes spare. So I hope um, we can have a, an interesting discussion around any of these concepts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you very much. That was, uh, was really good. And as Vanessa said, um, please uh, put your questions in and we'll be happy, happy to take them now. Um, I've got one um, coming already, Vanessa. Um, how do you get customers that are used to buying turnkey solutions um, to uh, SaaS solutions, especially if those customers, uh, be they, for example, investors or developers, are not used, uh, are not users or operators yeah. of buildings? Yeah, it's a really great question. I think the real estate industry is used to buying turnkey solutions and spending a lot of money in the CapEx um, part of the development cycle. Um, my product is very much at the at the, the you know the last end of that cycle. So really, for when tenants move in is is when we come in. Mm -hmm. So we focus, and I'm sure there are other products and other companies out there that use. Maybe let's end on this previous slide. Oops, um, sorry. There's other products out there that use there you go, that use. Um, you know, that are more hardcore building technologies like BMS systems that are mm -hmm. also part of a turnkey solution that are moving from being just a turnkey solution to a software as a service and a setup fee. So I know there's examples of those which are, which are quite interesting. Um, but in terms of what we do is a lot of the very beginning when I started the business two and a half years ago is a lot of educating and knocking down doors saying this is what you need. And for us, one of our competitors is real estate owners or managers trying to build this product themselves as a turnkey mm. solution. And then they will go to a software agency and pay for, you know, 500K, a million, two million, even more than that to build something from scratch that they then think will work. And it's a very much the wrong way of thinking about it because nothing will work forever. So we'll have specifications. It's kind of the difference between agile development and um, what they used to do like 20 years ago, which I even forget the name of, which is like, for example, I'm a government and I want to have a product XYZ. I scope it then I do a tender and I get some other company to build it for me. Like two years later, maybe three years later, they build XYZ. When they deliver that, I actually realized I want ABC. I want something completely different. XYZ is no longer relevant for me because I needed that two years ago, not now when they've actually delivered it. And so this is um, one of the concepts that we do come up against, specifically some big owners trying to build it themselves. Like I know CBRE has built a product that's like ours called CBRE 360 or Tishman Inspire built their own called Zoe. Um, and I always think you know, one, there is no turnkey solution. So if you're trying to look for one, it doesn't exist because technology is always iterating and what you're trying to do with your building should also iterate. So the product that you may need today should be different than the product you need in one or two years. Mm. And if you build, if you think you want to just buy a, a turnkey solution, it just won't work. So it doesn't, like for me, even it doesn't make any sense. Um, but I think it is a very interesting question and it comes from maybe more the way we think of buying a car or the way we think of buying a product um, car manufacturers are moving from just selling cars to leasing and the leasing bit you know can be much more cost effective and can be much more flexible for users because of the demand in the market that users want a lot of this um, the way car makers have sold their products is changing 
and they're even starting competitors to Uber, like BMW and Mercedes started a competitor to Uber. And so I think that's a really interesting example of, I think, what the same is happening in, in real estate is business models are changing and technology is part of that um, change. Yeah, I, mean, I actually read even today, I think Tesla are planning some, uh, some future uh, like Uber competitor as well with um, driverless cars. I think if, and, and I, I totally agree with, 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 with your, your point. Do you think that it's sort of a problem for the commercial real estate space that there is like this disconnect with ultimately the end user, right? Because for example, I get, I'm guessing like, you know, your, your main clients are kind of the people that actually own or operate the buildings, but ultimately it's, it's, it's not them that are using that are the users. It's the actual, you know, employees or the or the tenants. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's fascinating. It's like as if it's like you know, someone, someone twenty years ago in the real estate world, if you ask them who their users are, they wouldn't be able to say. And it's like asking Apple who buys their products. Like that's the most valuable information for them. Mm. Or it's like as if Facebook didn't know who was on their platform. <laughs> and so I think looking at buildings as platforms is a really interesting concept. And the you know, the real estate industry is changing in the sense I think now they've understood. And it's very much also driven with the success of WeWork is now they understand to start looking at the users, which is really the value. I think it's the gold. Gold uh, treasure chest that they're yet to uncover. Yeah, it's a, that's a, a great point. I think WeWork have definitely made some of these companies stand up and take notice, especially now as well. We're seeing, I think, soon WeWork bringing their own software to the market for others as well, which I think will will be a, again like an, an interesting you know, development. I've had loads of questions coming for you, which is great. Um, here's, here's here's a good one. Uh, what is the smartest building you've been to, and what made it so smart? That's tough. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's a really great. Um, for me, I think it has to be factory in Berlin, even though I am biased. Um, I, I have been fascinated with the way the community evolved there. And the actual building didn't have too much hardware, but it was very smart for users. So people could book a desk, people could book a meeting room, get into the co-working space, work whether you're working in the long-term um, tenant space, like in a SoundCloud office, or whether you're just a monthly member, you had access to all the different amenities, and that really drove engagement. And therefore, people really understood um, what is available, how can I go to which events, and then they were able to connect with each other in a, in a unique way that I think helped set Berlin up as a global ecosystem and startup hub. Mm. And I've never seen a building that's changed a city's perception, right? I think that's that's incredibly smart. Um, in terms of the building technologies, I think we're still only at the beginning of scratching the surface of what a fully connected lift, lighting, window, um, air conditioning, HVAC, sensor, like fully powered building will be. I know I'm very excited about 22 Bishopsgate in London, I think. Um, AXA have really set set a milestone of what is possible with, with towers and the way they have 100,000 square feet of community space that's also shared um, is innovative and in line with what Factory did eight years ago. I think obviously the edge is also a great example of where a, a collaboration between the biggest occupier, in this case Deloitte, and the real estate owner drove value for the company. So Deloitte really was very involved in the beginning of the, the design and the specifications, and they drove the smartness of the building. So again, looking at the users and the clients. So the, in this case, the client was Deloitte, and they were involved in the design phase. Now, how often does that ha happen? Not very often. A lot mm -hmm. of times owners have challenges of thinking, how much do I build into the tenant space? And how much do I just leave open? And I would always say, leave it open until you find your tenant. If you find your tenant, you can build it together. You know, that's the best way of collaborating around um, business value goals. Right, I think it's a great point, isn't it? Because you know, you think of all the, the buildings perhaps out there that were designed specifically for a company. I mean, for example, like Google, I know 
deeply involved in you know designing and building out their own buildings so and of um, course the google and apple the big google campuses that they're building the spaceship and the mountain mm -hmm. view project of course they'll be some of the best um in the world as well yeah unfortunately they don't talk too much about it do they but we'll just yeah. have to guess <laughs> they should <laughs> oh yeah, and hudson should. yards is a really good example as well hudson yards is a really good example i'm sure the google and apple real estate um like head of real estate will start talking about this and mm -hmm. if not you should totally get them to do a webinar james i would absolutely yeah no and i think um you know you're talking about factory i think it's there's an example and then you know this whole kind of what underpins your company and a lot of work that or you know things that we've written about like this whole idea of community and collaboration and like serendipitous connections is is super important and i think it's, it's really hard to do um you know you do yeah. I know people do design buildings with that in mind but but it's i think you know community is something that's the reality hard, the reality is right. hard to scale yeah and the reality it just takes time and it takes time with this cycle this learning cycle so it has to become organic. The people that you're providing the service for need to want to engage and connect. And so it definitely does also depend on your tenants, right? If you have a building and you fill it with very, very traditional law firms, they're not gonna be so open to maybe that, you know, nobody will go to any of your events or any of your services that you're providing. So I think it does go hand in hand with what are you trying to achieve? Who are you trying to achieve it for? So you're trying to build the services for the people that are coming in. So the law firms, they don't want yoga, but they might want something completely different. They might want, you know, legal events or, or client events. Um, and so only if you build your event services and amenity spaces uh, with your clients, your end customers in mind, with tenants, the occupiers in your space, will it become a successful community. Mm -hmm. So let me get on with some more questions for you. Uh, what do you think is the best way to get occupants involved in making a building smarter or more efficient? Um, for example, is gamification something that's interesting or other incentives? I think it really is a communication um, issue. So if you as a landlord are not connected with the users and not communicating with them, you'll never get them engaged or involved. But if from the very minute that you start speaking with them in a pre-leasing phase, you know, you communicate in the sense that not only are you saying, we want to help you have the best experience, but we want to listen to you and we want to hear from you. What are your concerns? What works? What are you most interested in? What are you looking for in an office space? And I think it basically goes back to the basics of any business, listening to your customers and engaging with them from a very early beginning. So I think as an owner, you, you need to become more connected with the end users, whereas in the past, especially the asset managers um, that are very big, you know, they would outsource everything. They're just using facility managers, property managers, outsourcing everything. And that is changing. They, they have to become closer to the customers. Um, it may be that it goes through the property managers and the property managers are saying, or the leasing agents are the one finding out what works, what doesn't work, and, and how to affect the experience. But unless you're on the ground listening to people and you know, using technology to listen to them better indeed. So you can gamify um, surveys or feedback um, collection. You can give them little incentives or awards. You give them loyalty points on the platform to encourage feedback and survey responses. You know, surveys in the past have been very badly um, organized. They, you know, nobody wants to respond to a survey. And if they do, they feel pressure to say that everything is good because employees don't know if their bosses are going to read it or not right um it's not it's a very interesting psychological uh perspective of mm -hmm. responding to surveys or not and so i think that needs to change um from day one and then i think it's really driven by the people in buildings as well as the technology and the actual assets so when we thought of location 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 as your sort of mantra for real estate i think now it should be location people and technology. Mm -hmm. Yep, great point.
Uh, next question for you. Um, is District Technologies a venture capital-backed company? Or what stage are you at in your, in your investment phase? Yeah, we are. We raised our first round in November 2017, and we're just starting to raise another round as well. Great. Uh, here we go. Um, next question. Um, do I understand it correctly? District sure, Technology. You know, Sorry, go on. Yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, James. Oh, it's, um, another question for you. District Technology solution is integration through um, API for different building systems and creates a customized APP platform to meet the needs of the co-working space owner. I think someone just wants just to understand correctly what your what your solution is. Sure, let me just quickly show you the, the overview. Mm -hmm. um, we absolutely we absolutely are API first, so we can integrate with different smart building technologies like access sensors. Let me just do this quickly, access sensors and lifts, HVAC lighting, etc. On the right, this is our open API product. Um, spec and on the left are the core proprietary features that we provide. Um, so indeed, we provide custom, either fully branded apps, so the brand of the client, so whether it's a um, building brand or a client brand, doesn't matter, or plug and play, which is our district branded app and a little bit more cost effective for clients. So that's what we do, and we very much focus on any type of asset, whether it's a co-working space, which we have clients, we have a co-living as a client, a co-living space, 50 apartments in London, um, residential or commercial office space. Because whether I book a, book a space or a meeting or an event or want to open a door in a residential or commercial building, it doesn't actually matter. It's the same technology. What matters is this future of properties that if you need a shared space, if you want to have a shared space, you want to have services, you want to have some way of connecting the community, i.e. the people in the building, then you need to have a digital platform to do this in the most streamlined way. And this is the why the need for you know, tenant experience or occupier community platforms have been created. This is kind of the, the reason the market is expanding exponentially with what we're doing. And that could, as much as sort of co-working um, people, it could just be your employees, right? You want a, you want an app that they can share and, and so have a have a place to go to right. where they can have um, meeting or not just meetings. And so the biggest companies in the mm -hmm. so the biggest companies in the world are actually you know the ones like our client WPP. They have one hundred seventy thousand employees, but even companies with two thousand even 1,000 or less employees, they're making their own co-working spaces in their own offices. And then if you're making your own co-working space, as in you don't, don't no longer have fixed offices or fixed desks, you need a way to allow your employees to book it and utilize the space more effectively. And that's where we come in. So it really is any type of client that wants to connect the physical spaces with a digital community hub more effectively. Mm -hmm. And um, let's just say, for example, I'm a like manufacturer of building technology, like access control or something. What? How can I use your API? What would? How would I? How would I get involved in that? Yeah. So you can go on to www.developers.district-tech.com today, and read about our open API documentation and get in touch with our technology team if you're interested in integrating with us. And then any integration, we provide the ability for all of our clients around the world to you know, look at those. And essentially, it's like a marketplace. So we, as district, we want to upsell really smart prop tech and IoT solutions to, to our clients if they provide value to the users. And our focus is to only do, of course, we want to only focus on our core product, which is the community layer. And we want to partner with hardware or, you know, IoT or software partners that do specific things really well. And so you can absolutely get in touch. You can also get in touch with me directly. Uh, my email is Vanessa at district-tech.com. I'm always happy to share. And we're always interested in, in connecting with, with interesting partners. Sure. And I'll make sure we put the links to 
that you mentioned up on the yeah you're the, the notes. more than welcome to thanks um, so a bit more of a technical question here. Um, how do you manage the different topologies of the different domains, technologies, to generate the semantic meaning that you are trying to deliver? Um, I guess that's sort of more about how you design the app. Like how does it maybe in integrate with mm. different types of, you know, technology? Not sure if I fully understand the question, but I'll give it a go. Um, anything you know really technical so I always pass on to Pete our CTO but I believe the question is about how we manage um, the different back-end architecture admin rights it's the way it's set up mm -hmm. so the way it's set up today is we have our back-end which is API first and we have different levels of data so we have a portfolio wide a building-wide, a company-wide, and a user-wide admin right, and that allows us to separate content on each of these levels. Um, so we can have one branded app with unlimited buildings, which is really exciting because it allows our clients to allow their users to book meeting rooms, say if you have shared meeting rooms in more than one building, um, like a co-working space, a company that has 20 buildings, we can connect all of those buildings and we can allow the users to either have access to just one or all of those buildings on the same platform. And you can switch based on geolocation. We geofence the building, so that means like this is the actual location of the building and this is the um, GPS coordinates. And if you're anywhere near that building, it'll say, hey, Vanessa, I see that you're closer to this building. Do you want switch and then I can click yes or no but everything we provide our users on the platform we allow them to opt in or opt out so we don't just do the switch automatically because you know you may want to actually go to your home office where you're based you want to you want to book a meeting room in your in your old office but you're in another office right now you don't want to keep having to switch so we always give them the option of switching or not so that's how it works today um, and in terms of like much more technical backend architecture stuff, I'd be very happy for you to contact us separately um, and we can give you a more detailed demo of how the product works. This was really more, this webinar was really more um, less about district and more about the concept of how do you create, you know, the most valuable products and, and buildings these days. And we believe it's through community. Mm -hmm. And then if you want to provide community, you need a digital tool to manage that, right? So that's where, where district comes in. Absolutely. Um, but we definitely have kind of a lot of district related questions. So people are interested. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, happy to answer as well. Um, no worries. One, I know that, you know, you, James then. and I discussed it's, it's not a, it wasn't a, we're not doing a sales pitch right now. We're, we should be talking theoretically. That's what they <laughs> but want. But happy to we answer any district questions. We have questions. to give people what they want. Yeah. Um, what, Very good. Uh, I know. You, I think you showed a slide earlier about this for this question. Uh, which dashboard dashboards do you provide to your customers? Sure. So, yep, there we go. This is your client dashboard. So it has all the data analytics about, you know, how many people are using the app, but also how many people are using what. So conversion rates of events, conversion rates of services. And um, you can then use the platform to connect and communicate with your tenants, you can send push notifications, you can send updates to say, I always argue as something I haven't mentioned yet, what I think is really important is it's also about getting the basics of your communication right. So if you are not communicating with your tenants about a fire alarm or a new, new tenant moving in or a construction site, whatever, they're gonna start getting angry if you try to implement fancy smart building technologies like you know, sensors and fancy, who knows what, you know, yoga classes, if you're not getting the basics right. So I always think it's really, really key to do that. And our platform allows you to do all of that. So we have, this is to manage it. And then on the, there you go. So the left is to manage it and the right is the user login. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, one more here. And I think it's sort of a bit more of a comment. Um, building a building, in a design thinking method sounds great, um, but could also be a little bit risky. Um, if in a retrofit situation, the building has been uh, built, so how can one engage a customer um, in this conversation? I guess that that's pretty interesting. I, yeah. I think, you know, obviously a lot of buildings already exist and 
think ideally we want to make those smart as well. I mean, how hmm. is there a way Absolutely. of you know, including people? In I would argue the same. The same thing applies. So if you have a building that already exists and you have a tenant that's already in the building and you're looking to renovate, then you can 100% engage that tenant throughout the entire design process of the renovation. If you're looking to get rid of the tenant and then renovate an empty building and bring a new tenant in, then the earlier we can get the new tenant engaged in the design process, the better. And if you do not have a tenant, but you're retrofitting the building, then the argument is just to make it as open as possible. Um, so not making decisions about, you know, meeting rooms or walls or just let, leaving it as open cat A spec. Um, and I think there's a lot of questions around how far should you integrate with the building space or not, the tenant space or not. And I would always say that until you find your tenant, you just leave it open. Why spend money on something that you're going to rip out again after once you find the tenant? And I think a lot of that's also the strategy that a lot of our clients are doing with new buildings. And what's exciting is for new buildings, some of our clients are using our app to actually use it as a pre-leasing tool as well. You can already include the community or potential clients if the building doesn't exist yet. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, I think one one thing I wanted to ask as well, like I know, and you know, given obviously not mm -hmm. just your work with district, but you know what you've previously worked on and your experiences with like the uh, the edge buildings. You know, what what are the things that like the industry is is getting really wrong at the moment? Um, I mean, you've mentioned open quite a lot, mm -hmm. um, and uh, that, I mean, to me is fascinating because we, we still seem to be in a situation. I mean, obviously I come more from a, you know, writing about technology, the technology aspect of, of, of this, um, that, mm -hmm. we, that, that we still see a lot of different systems that don't talk to each other. Um, and, you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, although, you know, we all know that the technology exists, that it's just not being implemented in a way that we're making, you know, the full advantage of, of, of that. I mean, is, is that something that you've come across? Is it frustrating or is there something else which you think that, you know, we're really kind of failing as an industry at the moment? Yeah, I think it's really tough because not, you know, there is no one, one solution fits all and there is no product that's integrated with everything else. It just doesn't exist yet. And real estate owners have to make decisions also in terms of budget because, you know, something we haven't mentioned yet is in an ideal world, you'd like to maybe renovate and, and add all sorts of smart building tech. But in reality, you have to make decisions with what you can provide, what you have the budget for and, and what adds value to the user. So I always argue, you know, looking at something like the user first, so looking at a product like districts first as the community front end, which is very cost effective. So our, you know, our pricing is very, very low because it's only software and it's all in the cloud. We don't even need to touch the building if we don't want to. And then you go backwards from the user back into the building, back into the smart building tech. So then is it worth integrating access control or not? Is it worth integrating sensors? Is it worth in integrating lifts? But you get your basic communication layer right and your focus on your community right from day one. And that's not a matter of, of budget because it can be done with, with almost no money. It's a matter of perspective. Are we looking at the users first or are we looking at the brick and mortar first? And so it's just a mind, mind, mind shift change, mindset change. And that's slowly happening. And it's when I say slowly, I mean, it's happening fast, but over the last 10 years since co-working has really become prominent in, in the real estate world. And I think we're going to see a lot more changes happening in the future. And I, I would love to see more failure. I think the one thing I see not enough is I don't see enough real estate owners, even though they have all the budget in the world and all the resources in the world, they don't. They don't, I don't think the real estate industry is open to failure. You know, you see, um, you do not hear of a lot of startup uh, partnerships with big corporates that don't work out. 
and I would love to hear about them that don't work out because that would mean you're testing things until they do work out because failure is just truly the iteration of steps to success. And un unless you only truly fail if you don't keep failing, if you give up. <laughs> if you keep failing, you'll find a way that works if you keep iterating and you follow these design processes. Um, and so I would love to see more examples of partnerships where things don't work out and more partnerships in general, more openness to working with smaller companies as, as a big company and maybe streamlined ways of testing it. You know, have very clearly defined KPIs at the beginning of a partnership that, you, that you're very clearly communicating to both sides. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're going to spend the next three months and X amount of money on. And then if this succeeds, we want to roll it out to our whole portfolio. Um, I really don't see a lot of very innovative um, projects like that being discussed or spoken about. And that's something that we're trying to lead. We're working on case studies that we're going to publish with our clients to show the rest of the industry that, you know, it's really important to get these partnerships right. And also for the big companies as well as the small companies, it goes both, both ways. A big company a big real estate owner that has trillions in assets doesn't have time to waste on projects that are not going to affect their entire portfolio. So they don't want to work with, you know, a small company that can just do this one thing on the small building. They want to look for scale. And if you can provide the right type of product that then works across many buildings, um, then those are some real use cases of very successful partnerships that work and that create value on both sides of the, of the, you know, puzzle, both sides of the puzzle. And the more of these corporate startup partnerships there'll be in the real estate sector, the more innovative the real estate sector will become and the more open to digitalization. I think we're very much at the beginning of our digital transformation in the space. And it's fascinating because it's, I would argue, even slightly behind the government um, digital transformation. <laughs> so as an industry, it's, it's very behind in terms of other industries that have already been eaten by software where companies are doing projects and trials with with tech um, left right and center mm, and i think yeah. over the last two years this has changed a lot so the last year we see a lot more and i'm very excited for the next two years to come i think it'll it'll very much blow up yeah i mean we've we've certainly seen a lot more investment putting into startup companies and, and also you know more more merge more acquisition we, we've been tracking that recently and Definitely more more money for disruption coming into coming into the industry. Um, it struck me then when you were talking um, about That's a good know, thing. yeah, absolutely. Um, it struck me when you were talking a little bit earlier about the paving over desire paths in buildings. Um, mm. That you know, I guess I guess if you have this, you know, because every most people now have you know this software hardware platform in their pocket. You know, the phone that that's kind of you know, the cheapest way to get a sensor network into into the building. And maybe with that, you can then use that to work out what these desire parts are and not just how people move in buildings, but perhaps what, they, what, Absolutely. You know, what they're experiencing. And, you actually use that data to then define what, what, what decisions you make about, about retrofitting. Yeah, and it's that feedback loop I showed at the end of the presentation, which, you know, unless you take the data and do something with the data to affect the user experience of people daily you're not really making your building smart and you can totally do it with any type of retrofitting or new development you can actually learn from gathering data and we have many examples of um, clients where they have learned or examples in the industry case studies where they have learned users have actually not used the 20% of this building. Why are people not using it? It's the way the building was built with the architecture. The site is totally left alone. Let's utilize that space for something else. Or nobody's booking this meeting room. Why is it a meeting room? Let's turn it into desks. Or, you know, all of this stuff can only be learned when you start using a building. And no matter how many are, you know, no matter how many buildings an architect has designed, every building is different and users will find their own unique, quirky, desire paths that may you know change over time and then the smartest um, owners and managers can actually adapt the buildings because changing a wall is not expensive right you can actually really affect the experience of tenants and of users if you change are able to flexibly change their office space to their desires 
especially if they have long leases. So if I have 10 or 20 year lease, why shouldn't I be able to change the interior of my office to my demands as they change every year? And companies are changing faster than ever before. So I think it's this change in real estate transformation is also reflective of the change in any other industry because as you've seen you know no company is safe look at Lehman Brothers they had a however long lease and they were a bank in terms of best credit score um, they defaulted because they failed as a business so I think even small companies but especially also big companies don't often know how many employees and how much space they're going to need over the next couple of years and real estate needs to become more flexible to adapt that and it is this is why flexibility and, and co-working spaces are so successful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely agree. Yeah. It's, um, it's really interesting. And, um, you know, we've come to the end of our time, but uh, if, if people have more questions for you, Vanessa, yeah. what's the best way of um, getting hold of you? Yeah, they can definitely just feel free to email me or add me on LinkedIn um, and reach out with any, any further questions. And we're yeah. very happy to pick it up after this. Great, and I'll, um, um, as I said before, we've recorded this, so I'll, I'll make sure when we when we put this online that we'll include a link to um, the district um, website and also the uh, link to the where you can find their API. Um, so just want to remain to me to okay. say thanks everyone for, for listening and also thanks to our um, sponsor, Project uh, Haystack, and they're doing their connection um, event in May. And that's going to be in San Diego. So definitely encourage everybody to, to check that out as well. Um, yeah, and, and as I said, um, you'll be able to find this recording on iTunes and YouTube and also uh, SoundCloud. Uh, so yeah, just makes me say thanks to Vanessa. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks, thanks so much, James. And thanks for everyone listening. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. My pleasure. All the best. Bye-bye. <laughs>